Welcome to The Markets, sponsored by the CME Group. In for Orion Samuelson, I'm Steve Alexander, and our friend Max Armstrong will be along in just a few minutes as well. First, let's take a look at what happened on Wall Street on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 301 points, 1.1% to 27,347. The S&P 500 gained 29 and a third points, or close to 1%, at 3,067. And the Nasdaq added 94 points, or 1.1%, to 8,386. For the week, the Dow rose 1.44%, the S&P 500 climbed 1.47%, and the Nasdaq rose 1.74%. Along with the S&P's record high, the Nasdaq eclipsed its July closing record, too. The S&P 500 has climbed for four straight weeks, its longest streak since February, while the Nasdaq has gained in five straight weeks, and the quarterly earnings are coming in and stronger than anticipated, and U.S.-China trade rhetoric has appeared to be productive. And that is all helping out the markets, and the Dow is only right now 12 points away from a closing record. To once again try to help us make sense of out of all of this, uh, I'll bring in Susan Schmidt, head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors in Chicago. Hi, Susan. Hello. Uh, quite a week, huh? We finished out with a bang, didn't we? We sure did. We've seen a lot of activity this week, and the market is taking it mostly as good news. So very supportive. I think we're seeing the third or fourth week of earnings here, hearing from a lot of company management teams, and for the most part, hearing a a story that is better than the market expected. So still seeing some strength in business. I think the market is taking that to be a positive. Let's break out some of it. Let's uh, begin with the, the Fed's decision to lower interest rates once again at a time when I heard a lot of people who are, I believe, smart people suggest that the Fed ought to take a pause. What are your thoughts about that? Well, the Fed did come out and lower interest rates, which was widely expected at this meeting. So interest rates are now down a quarter of a percent versus where they were on Monday. And that's important. I think the market, because it's the expectations were so high, needed to see that reaction from the Fed. But what's interesting is the Fed indicated that they'll be on pause. There's not necessarily another lowering of rates at the next meeting. They're going to wait and see. And the press conference after that announcement really was supportive of data finding, watching to see what happens in the economy, and waiting to see what happens. But once again, stressing the message that the Fed is there to support the economy should we need it. Mm. So pauses in the vocabulary just came, for some people, it came after the meeting instead of before the meeting. Yes, people were not quite so comforted by the initial release. It was really the language in the press conference afterwards that brought that extra confidence in, reminding people that the Fed is paying attention to data. It's not a permanent pause, and they're going to be reactive to the economic data that they see. And then two days later, the the, the jobless numbers come out and show, uh, in, including with the revised numbers for August and September, show uh, really a much healthier look at the uh, at least that that sector of the economy than. The, than the information the Fed had before it decided to lower rates. That's right. This was a very positive jobs number. And don't forget that it was also impacted by the GM strike. So we saw very good data on the jobs number exceeding expectations. And I think the most relevant thing there was that we saw a positive upward revision on the last month as well. So that was a big boost of confidence for the market today. This economy keeps going along because the consumer is strong and because the American economy, that grassroots economy, keeps rolling forward. So I think the market took that in the jobs number and was very happy with it. 
Have all of the rumors of uh, some kind of a trade deal with China been priced in already? Has that all been priced in pretty much, do you think? I think the market is showing that it's learning the language of this negotiation. It's the noise in the background for a long time. And we have moments where it comes to the forefront, but we still don't really know what the outcome will be. One of the reasons the market's been concerned was trying to understand and quantify how this is going to impact companies and what tariffs actually mean in terms of cost of goods and profitability. I think what we're seeing now is the market recognizing that it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot that's going to change up front. The rounds of tariffs that were going to be imposed have been pushed back. The discussion continues. And the market has hard data from CEOs who talk about the actual nuts and bolts and figures that they have and what's going on in their businesses now. And that's where the market's focused. Let's talk about earnings. Quite another batch of them uh, as we, I guess, we're well past the halfway point of the earnings season. Is that right? We are just past the halfway point, but... There are plenty more to come, so this is not at all over, and there are going to be lots more discussions. We are in that crunch time of conferences as well, and so companies are out on the road talking to investors, talking about their businesses and their industries, and I think that's a really good time for investors to get data, understand what the business models are doing, and also understand how these industries are faring and adjusting in the face of global trade. Mm-hmm. Any uh, big surprises for you uh, from the earnings that came out this week? Nothing too surprising this week. Again, the overall takeaway is it wasn't as bad as anyone expected. I think we've seen better support and a better tone from management teams than the market was really anticipating. A better tone from management teams than the market was anticipating. I think the biggest news today was Google coming out buying Fitbit. That's interesting, of course, and it's gotten a lot of attention as Google moves in with their focus on hardware, being part of the connected consumer, getting involved in the Internet of Things, and moving into Fitbit is a pretty logical step for them, especially when we see how strong wearables are, as, as evidenced by Apple's recent announcement. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about that, if that wasn't a more of a data move for Google than anything, you know, because of advertising being so much of their uh, revenue, that the addition of the Fitbit data would be uh, very enticing for them? Still early to see how that Fitbit data is going to play into this, but data overall and data around your customer has become a topic that's at the forefront of every CEO's mind. We're really understanding how much that data can help you to fine-tune your marketing and land your customer. And so I think we're seeing an increased importance I think we're seeing an increasing importance level placed on that, and that's good overall. Well, at any rate, it turned out to be a pretty good payday for Fitbit shareholders, as uh, it looks like the overall valuation was about $2.1 billion based on uh, Google's uh, bid per share, which is, uh, at least at the beginning of the day, it looked like it was about a, what, a 20% premium on where the share price was? Almost. Almost, we saw a 16, 17% rise in the price today. So Fitbit have been trading at a little over $6 and closes today a little bit over $7. So Google clearly willing to pay for that investment and thinking that that will add to their stable of offerings to the consumer. Yeah, well, wearables are uh, continue to be a big deal, don't they? Um, they definitely are. Let's talk about Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest had a big miss, right? And shares were down considerably, uh, th- at least through through the middle part of the day. I didn't see how they finished up, but the, that's an interesting one to look at. Pinterest has been under a lot of pressure today, and 
it's an interesting example because it's not the only new companies in the market that we've seen under pressure. Remember that Uber, Lyft, others have come under pressure as well. And we're struggling to find how we value these companies that have great ideas but may not yet be making money and may not be operating profitably. Ultimately, the market wants to see cash flow. And so we're seeing that as a difficulty and a barrier for these companies as they come to market now publicly traded. The market is forcing them to evaluation that when they're private, they don't have to look at. They can postpone that. The public market wants to know that there's a future coming that involves profitable earnings. I see the Saudi Arabian oil company, Aramco, uh, maybe having an IPO. Did I see that Sunday could be the day that they're going to do it? Interesting information on Aramco. Saudi Arabia has been talking about taking their a portion of their energy company public and that's been rumored for multiple years it does look like that data is approaching sunday is what we're hearing now it's going to be issued within saudi they decided not to take it out via a new york banker or new york stock exchange so it will be interesting to see and quite possibly that comes out i'm not as sure about uh, ramco steve so i don't know on that for sure got it okay i saw that the the saudi prince that uh well mohammed bin salman who's who you may uh, know right. have heard of for other reasons uh, wants ramco to be valued at about two trillion dollars <laughs> when i saw that number i thought well that's that's a big uh, that's a big bite of the pie i wonder whether the banks and investors are that bullish Exactly. So in 2016, it was suggested that the valuation would be $2 trillion as placed on it by the Saudi Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Investors balked at that in 2016. And don't forget that we've had a rough time for pricing in the oil market. Oil has really stayed in the 50s to 60s range. We haven't seen it jump up to the $100 level that I'm sure the Saudis would much prefer. There's finally talk that the Saudi Crown Prince has given the go-ahead to the initial public offering of the state, their state oil producer, Aramco. And so we might see that in the coming days. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to China for a minute, because China uh, really drives so much of what happens on our, our uh, equity markets. Uh, earlier today, I saw a story that said that uh, China, uh, there was a private index, the reading that came out that showed that Chinese factories were doing better, but then in almost uh, a contradiction to that, there was an official government uh, measure of Chinese factory uh, 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 operations that showed that uh, they were at their lowest level since February. And it takes us back once again, I think, to so how much stock do you put in to what you hear coming out of China? Well, that's the conundrum with China data. You, uh, with That's the conundrum with Chinese data. You never quite know what to take as truth and fact and which one to wait. So I think what is interesting is that we are seeing a lot of stimulus that's been put into the Chinese economy. We are seeing that start to trickle through. And overall, while their growth is slowing, that economy is still growing. I think what's most interesting about China is that we are starting to get some feedback that culturally the Chinese consumer is starting to balk to balk at buying American products and is starting to be biased against American companies. If the trade wars talk continues on both sides, that will be difficult because remember that is still an export market that we would like to sell into. 
Balking at America products because of price or because of the uh, the attitude? Because of the talk, the attitude and talk of the trade, recognizing that there's tensions between the two countries. We've seen some studies and data that's come back from companies talking about how their sales in China have slowed, or they're starting to hear a growing sentiment from the Chinese consumer that's becoming anti-American brands. Mm-hmm. Another measure of the Chinese economy could be the the stock price of Alibaba, uh, and uh, certainly a reflection of how the Chinese consumers uh, doing in terms of buying things. And it came in uh, with a better than expected quarter, uh, as I recall earlier today or last night, perhaps. And shares uh, today, at least in the early going, were were up a little. Up a little, closed just below yesterday's closing close just below yesterday's closing price. And so really a stable day for Alibaba. I think it continues to show the strength of the Chinese consumer, the growing middle class, and certainly is an interesting business model. Mm-hmm. What do you expect for next week? What should we be, we be looking for? Next week, we're going to see some more economic data coming out, and then we continue to have earnings. So we have many companies, many major companies in the S&P 500 still talking about earnings and how their businesses are doing. I think that's going to be the focus for investors for the next two weeks at least still as we worry about that. Remember that the earnings season does stretch out. I think our next big data point will be next Friday when we look for University of Michigan's Consumer Confidence Index. We're counting on the confidence of the consumer to keep them spending, and that's where the market attention will be focused. Susan Schmidt, head of U.S. equities for Aviva Investors in Chicago. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need. Today, and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Back in the studio this weekend, Naomi Bloom from Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson, headquartered in Wisconsin. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Well, the harvest goes on and on and on. This is a trying one. You get the feeling that that last 20 to 25% is going to come very hard, very late. Uh, It's going to continue to be a struggle. Absolutely. Producers are already frustrated with the weather concept and with the weather that's coming, the weather that's here now with the snow. Um, They're already tired. They're emotionally wiped out and physically tired. And um, just seeing how they're going to continue to have this harvest drag out. In some places, it wouldn't surprise me, unfortunately, if it goes till Christmas or beyond, just because of how wet fields are. Um, and just trying to make sure that we can get the product dried down and get into bins properly. It is going to be a long, drawn-out process. Also, uh, a struggle is the fact that the market isn't reflecting it enough in the minds of the producers. Oh, I would agree with that. Um, one One thing to... To try to st- take a step back on and be aware of is that, you know, the corn and the soybean market has been in a nice slow uptrend higher. So in some regards, I think it is um, aware of how slow the harvest is. But what we aren't now factoring in is the lower yields that we are consistently hearing from across the country. So much discrepancy on what is or what isn't, where it has been compared to five-year averages. So we're going to probably be stuck for prices for a week or two until we can get some more information from the USDA, 
next Friday's USDA report, and just some further concrete news on the harvest and the progress. General feeling has been, has it not, that USDA will slide down yield per acre numbers on both the corn and beans? And are you of that opinion as well? That is that is definitely what the market is anticipating will happen. I will uh, just be very, very forward to say don't expect any big drops. This is going to be baby steps beyond baby steps. And, and even when they come to the January report, because of how slow this harvest is, they're still not going to have the final yield numbers in the final January report. So um, expect that number for yield to come down just only a little bit and don't expect it to be a market mover unless it's down a lot more than what the trade would anticipate. They won't change acreage numbers at all? Are they, are they finished adjusting acreage? Um, I am not sure. I'm, I really am not sure. My thought would be that there could still be tweaking. I know that in this uh, next November report, they are resurveying the North Dakota producers that they have already been talking with. So if there is any reason to adjust anything from those North Dakota producers, that would be on this report. But beyond that, I'm not sure what else they would um, bring into the picture. Weekly crop bulletins, we still watch those. I wonder if they'll continue those past Thanksgiving this year, if we still have a lot of crop out of the field. That's a great point. Yeah, because usually they wrap it up. But now they're almost like essential tools to know for sure what's happening, especially with the northern states. Um, I would think that would really be important, especially as we're starting to pick up traction in the soybean market with exports. And, of course, you know, North Dakota being one of the biggest producing states, we need to know what's going on up there. Um, and especially with South Dakota as well. Those are the places that were planted the latest. Uh, the yield numbers are already coming in much lower than year-ago levels. So we do need to know what's happening there. So, yeah, that would be interesting if they do like a special extension on how they report those to us. What did you make of the condition rating improvement of the corn crop this past Monday? In that weekly crop bulletin, they raised, I believe, by 2 percentage points, the good to excellent rating on corn. I'm not sure what to make of it. Um at all, period. So I don't know if it's because they're now that they're they're harvesting out there and they can get the fields opened up, they can maybe see things a little bit better. Um, specifically, I'm, I was a little surprised. I would have thought they would have just kept it unchanged. Some were saying that maybe it was that part of the corn crop uh, that uh, they're they're now to that part of the corn crop that was planted in a, a good window there and uh, has fared the best during the growing season. That would make sense because that is what is getting harvested right now um, and more in the uh, speedy methods, right? Problems with demand remain the overriding problems, correct? I mean, for the crop that we have, we should be seeing more of a market reaction, uh, perhaps a higher price, some are saying, but the demand isn't there. How do you feel about that? Uh, Demand is um, starting to improve a little bit on export sales in terms of soybeans and wheat, We actually had decent export sales for wheat today with unknown destinations, a buyer. So to me, that says China is uh, most likely the unknown person and that they're getting in the game. So export demand, I think, is going to pick up. Corn and soybeans now are priced at competitive levels or below competitive levels from South America. So hopefully we see that pick up. And this week for corn and ethanol, hey, this was the first time that we had Um, corn use and ethanol production over a million barrels a day, and it hasn't been that way for a couple months. So the demand is slower than what it's been within years past. There's no question. But there's little signs of life starting to trickle and and come into the the marketplace. So we are gradually seeing some improvement in demand, you think? I think it's there. And I think for the feed demand, for Pete's sake, we've got 
record hog production. We've got record poultry production right now. Um, you know, lower beef numbers, but overall production is still big. And so we're seeing more demand for feed wheat. So I think you're going to see that reflected on reports. Um, corn is the one that just continues to be in question. What are they going to do with um, the feed demand? What are they going to do with ethanol demand and the export demand on the upcoming reports? That's the one where, you know, coming into this fall, corn had a more of a bullish picture and the beans were more of a bearish picture. Now that's flip-flopped mm-hmm. to where the beans are now the, the big leading story, especially with the yield numbers continuing to come in a little bit, a little bit lower than year-ago levels. The balance sheet we had over a billion bushel carryout just a year ago, and now we're down to like 450 approximately. So um, that's a friendly story, and South American crop is, um, you know, getting planted now. But there was a little bit of dryness early, but uh, that yeah. hand wringing was for naught, was it? Not right. because they're yeah they're getting underway. Yep, caught up in a sense. But now with Argentina, here's something else that the producers here need to be watching. You know, global politics, global politics. We can't emphasize that enough, but they have a new president there. And so the policy in Argentina had always been, um, let's export tax. Tax the exports. Tax it all. Tax it all. And that's how they were going to make their money. And so the recent president before this one had kind of reduced some of those taxes. So all of a sudden, Argentina was exporting more onto the world. And farmers had higher hopes. You know, they they felt that he might even pull back even more on the taxes. Yeah. I don't think it ever quite met their expectations. Totally. You're right. And so now with this new president in place, now the fear is... Are they going to go back to those bigger exports? Because um, Argentina has got some serious debts that they got to owe up and they got to pay out. So if he does more of the bigger exports um, or export taxes, then then there's thoughts that you know the producer, in a sense, would not plant as much the following year, or maybe that would shift more demand to the United States. So that is something to be watching because if that happens, it's sad for them, but that's really good for us. So I'm watching that pretty close. Just a quick look at the livestock sector. Cattle prices, have they risen to about as high as they're going to? Um, We are real close to the um, April highs for um, fat cattle contracts. And seasonally, this is about its peak. So I would really have producers be aware of that. There's a friendly cattle story, period, as we continue with fourth quarter and going into first quarter with production numbers being lower. Um, but there's a very big seasonal tendency for the market to see a pullback. So I would be aware of that because um, technically on charts, we've gone about as high as we can go. The futures are trading at a premium to the cash market. And so I, I think that we'll see the futures market come back down a little bit. So if you have any hedging needs, um, be thinking about your cash contracts and maybe consider buying some puts for the short term. When does the hog market rocket take off? <laughs> the bulls say it's happening any day now. We, I was looking at export sales this morning and they were better than last week, but not um, as good as like the overall the past month. So we are still seeing um, exports happening to China. That's, of course, exciting. But it's the feeling that the other countries are going to buy ahead, and that hasn't happened uh, to a great extent, has it? So right. So that's the thing. We need to see more exports to Mexico, more to South Korea, more to other places around the world. So it's like everyone is still ultimately just buying what they need with that just-in-time mentality and, and, and waiting to see. So, yeah, the potential could be there. But we've been talking that for months, and, and China is definitely buying. But, you know, we've seen from China that they are not afraid to substitute a different product to meet their needs. And so I'm thinking of more poultry. Um, we could see a whole lot of other types of, of food varieties um, that they would have their 
consumers eat rather than just pork. So, of course, we're all hopeful. Um, but China does their own thing, and I, I think that they'll find other substitutes. Back to the grain market for a moment. Obviously, it's dangerous to compare with any other year. But I remember a couple of years when we got into the final weeks of the year, we actually had uh, somewhat of a Santa Claus rally. Is there any uh, opportunity you think that that might take place this year? I am still very supportive to the grain markets overall. I think prices will continue to be firm. It'll be a slow grind higher, but looking back to 93 and 95, so years where we had the slow planting start and then um, not the best yields overall, um, the the fall prices those years, we rallied all the way to Christmas. One of those years, that was the peak of the market for the following year. And then the other year, it just kept working higher into the following year. So, um Yes, be aware of any pricing opportunities that come because if we see prices continue to work higher in the coming weeks and months, it is going to be your marketing opportunity for old crop and then thinking ahead for 2020 because there's going to be a lot of producers anxious to be planting again in the spring. And if South America ends up having a decent crop, uh, it kind of takes our thunder out of the uh, you know demand story and, and the supply situation. So be mindful of the marketing opportunities as you're wrapping up harvest, because I think this might be some of your best prices for the year. Naomi Bloom, Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future cme group advance with confidence welcome back to the markets sponsored by the cme group and as we near the end of our time let's take a look at commodities gold prices eased on friday as better than expected u.s jobs numbers and strong factory data coming out of china sent some of that money going back into riskier assets spot gold dropped two tenths of a percent to 1511 per ounce Prices were set for a weekly gain. Checking some of the other precious metals, silver was down 0.3% at $18.07. Platinum rose 2% to $950, make that $951 per ounce, after hitting its highest level since September 25th at 952.20, and on its way to a weekly rise of about 3% for platinum. Palladium, it's been hot recently. It's up 0.8% at 1808 Checking crude oil, prices rose nearly 4% on Friday on signs of progress in the Chinese-U.S. trade talks and the stronger-than-expected economic data in both countries, including U.S. employment and the Chinese manufacturing activity numbers. But the move higher was not enough to recover losses earlier in the week, and oil ended the week lower. Brent crude gained $2.12, or 3.6%, settling at 61.74, while West Texas tea rose $2.02, or 3.73%, to settle at $56.20 a barrel. At the Chicago Board of Trade, corn ended down a penny and a half on Friday at 3.88 and a half a bushel. Beans were up four and a half cents, that's nearly a half percent, at 9.36 and three quarters a bushel. And wheat was up six cents on the day, 1.2 percent, at 5.14, three quarters cents per bushel. At the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, live cattle rose $2.45, just over two percent higher, at 119.67 a hundred. Lean hogs were down a dollar 65, that's two and a half percent lower. 
at 64.35 and feeder cattle rose a dollar 22 at 145 dollars 90 cents that's just under one percent higher for the day on friday and that's a look at your markets sponsored by the cme group for orion samuelson and max armstrong i'm steve alexander